I'm Paul Cook. For the next few minutes, we will contemplate the question, why study the Bible? Many intelligent and well-educated people have never made a serious study of the Bible. On the other hand, there are intelligent and well-educated people who have made studying the Bible the most important pursuit of their lives. Still, there's a third group that would fall between these two groups. These people have been read or studied parts of the Bible, sometimes reading part of the New Testament, sometimes reading part of the Old Testament, generally reading or studying whatever their church or synagogue is covering at the time. In actuality, most people would fall into this third category. Every year, the Bible is the best-selling, the most published book in the world. The Bible has been translated into more languages than any other book. The Bible has always been and is still today the most quoted book. The Bible is the most written about book. And even though few people have made a serious and diligent study of the Bible, it is still the most read book. Why is the Bible the best-selling, the most published, the most quoted, the most written about, and the most read book. I would suggest to you that it's probably because most people have at least heard that it claims to be inspired by God and that it claims to answer man's basic questions concerning life. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And probably, most important of all, what is my destiny? It has been said that any philosophy of life that does not deal with the problem of death is simply inadequate, since death is the greatest reality of life that we all must face. Solomon, one of the greatest philosophers of all time, recognized that his philosophy of life must deal with death. Solomon was extremely intelligent, wise, powerful, wealthy, when he noticed or decided to look for satisfactory answers to life's questions and problems. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon recorded his quest for some meaning to life. He began by pursuing wisdom, pleasure, and possessions. In Ecclesiastes 2, 9-10, Solomon states, that I became great. I increased more than all who preceded me, and all that my eyes desired I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Yet Solomon was not happy. He was not satisfied. He was searching for something that would satisfy. He states in chapter 2, verse 10, Thus I considered all my activities, which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity or emptiness, a striving after wind. Solomon was simply not finding satisfactory and fulfilling answers to life. Immediately in verse 14 of chapter 2, he recognizes the problem, mankind's problem. We all die. Thus Solomon begins to struggle with this issue of life. This is realism. We all die. So aside from this great stark reality of death, it was impossible. 
for Solomon to find meaning in any aspect of life. Solomon thus ends his book by concluding that the whole of man's life must be reverence and obedience to God, for to him in the end one must give an account for his life. Yes, the Bible gives logical, sensible, and meaningful answers to the questions we all contemplate concerning life and death. But, you might say, why do so few people make a serious and diligent study of the Bible? I'm sure the answer to that question varies greatly, but we're going to look at some of the reasons that are often given. One reason that uh, individuals give for not making a diligent study of the Bible is the size factor. Many people express that the Bible is a big book, and they do not have the time for a diligent and serious study of the Bible. Another factor hindering people from making a diligent study of the Bible is the difficulty factor. Many people are quick to say that they cannot understand the Bible. Still another factor in keeping people from making a really diligent study of the Bible and being willing to invest the time to do so is the relativity factor. Many people simply doubt that a book completed nearly 2,000 years ago could have answers to the problems people are experiencing in the 1990s. And then there's the factor many people, and I call this the doubt factor, Many people simply have doubts concerning the inspiration of the Bible. Let's examine these reasons for not studying the Bible. First, the size factor. Yes, the Bible's a big book, but most of us find time to do what we really want to do. Is the problem the size of the book, or is it that we really do not want to devote the time necessary for studying the Bible. Is the real problem time or the fact that there are other things that we had rather do? Let me give you a few facts concerning uh, the length of the Bible and studying the Bible. First of all, studying slightly more than three chapters a day will get one through the entire Bible in a year's time. For the average reader, that is 15 or at the most 20 minutes a day would put him through the entire Bible in a year's time. Three chapters a day will get one through the four Gospels in one month's time. Again, 15 to 20 minutes a day. Two chapters a day would get one through the books Acts through Revelation. That's the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels. Let's look at this now. In slightly more than three chapters a day, we can read the entire Bible in a year's time. In other words, if we're willing to set aside 15 or 20 minutes a day, half the time that it takes for the daily news, less time than most people spend with a newspaper, we can read the entire Bible through in a year's time. If we want to really go at it, then we can read a little over eight chapters a day. And if we're willing to read eight chapters a day, about 40 to 45 minutes a day. We can read the entire Old Testament through once in a year. We can read the Gospels through every single month, 12 times a year. And we can read the rest of the New Testament through 
once a quarter or four times a year. That's with 40 to 45 minutes a day. What looks like a big task is really not that big for the person that's willing to be persistent and to set aside just a little time a day. The big question is really, is it worth that kind of time? It seems to me that the size can, can easily be handled. The question is, are we really willing to put even this amount of time in the Bible? Yes, it's a big book. But considering that the Bible covers several thousands of years of history in the human development, and that it covers the development and birth of a very special nation, the nation of Israel, and considering it talks about and covers the establishment of a kingdom that would be worldwide, and then the future destiny of man, considering what it covers, the Bible really is extremely brief. In fact, one mark of biblical writers that scholars have always noted is their brevity. The writers of the Bible even express this. John, for example, when he concludes his gospel, says that many other miracles did Jesus do in the presence of witnesses that are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe, and believing you might have eternal life. And then John went on to say, I suppose the world would not even contain the books that need to be written. John wrote with the restraint of the Holy Spirit. He didn't write as much as he thought needed to be written. I don't believe I have ever read a book in the New or the Old Testament, but I found myself wanting more of the information when I finished that book. Try it. I believe that you'll find this as your experience also. The next question is the difficulty factor. Is the Bible really too difficult uh, for the average individual to pick up and study? Yes, there are passages that are difficult to understand by casual or quick, re quick reading. Have you ever heard the statement, the Bible is simple enough that a 12-year-old can understand it? I disagree with that statement. Not to say that a 12-year-old cannot read and understand a lot of the Bible, but it is to say that in order for the Bible to have the richness and the depth that will enable a person to grow, develop, and mature all of his life, it of necessity must have concepts that are beyond the grasp of the typical 12-year-old. Jesus acknowledged this principle when he told his disciples that he did not teach them all truth because they were not yet ready for it, John 16, 12. Again, Jesus said that he taught his disciples as they were able to understand, Mark 4, 33. The very nature of how we learn information is such that we need to learn certain basic truths before our mind can learn other basic truths. For example, a child cannot learn long division until he has mastered addition, subtraction, and multiplication. Then he's ready for long division. A process that was impossible for him to grasp now becomes simple and easy to understand. Likewise, 
Many college courses require prerequisite courses simply because the college or the professor realizes that you need to have a certain base of information before you can master the concepts presented in any number of other courses. The Bible is no different. There are concepts in the Bible that are difficult to understand without diligent study. The Bible was completed almost 2,000 years ago. It was not written in the English language. It was written by and to people who lived in a different culture and who lived in a different historical setting. These factors make it impossible for a novice or a new student to grasp all the concepts presented by quick, simple, casual reading. But if we are willing and able to study and learn material that will serve us in the secular world, I mean, think about it. We learn chemistry. We learn physics. We learn higher mathematics. And my own personal experience in these areas is that I have thought each of these areas was more complicated than what I've studied in the Bible. But if we can learn in these areas, why are we not able and willing to study and learn material in the Bible? Yes, there's a difficulty factor. But if we're willing to invest the time, it is worth the effort. Keep in mind, the Bible could not give us all that God wants us to have in order for us to develop a rich faith, to understand how to live our lives here, to understand God's purpose with life here and to prepare ourselves for eternity by dealing with us in the same way all the way through that we might deal with a fourth or fifth grade child. And so the Bible contains information to start off the novice and to develop his interest. And there are certain basic principles that, that we can see even at first reading. But then there is the richness that we can derive only by study and investing time throughout life. Another factor uh, in hindering people from studying the Bible is the relativity factor. If the Bible was completed almost 2,000 years ago, could it possibly have answers to the problems people experience in the 20th century? Today in our society, shelves are lined with self-help books and magazines. Books on how to have a better marriage, how to raise children, how to break bad habits, how to cultivate new habits, how to win over depression, how to win over stress, how to win over anger, how to handle low self-esteem. The list goes on. We have experienced the consequences of doing things our own way, and we don't like these consequences. Divorce is up. Crime is up. Teenage pregnancies are up, as well as other problems with our youth. Our entertainment is laced with violence and sexual promiscuity. We've been doing our own thing, and we don't like the results. Again, the Bible claims 
that it gives the best and supreme way to live our lives. Jesus challenged people to try his teaching in their lives. He said in John 7, 17, anyone who resolves to do the will of God will know whether the teaching is from God. In other words, Jesus taught that this teaching of his was inherently right, that it worked in the arena of life. And anyone that was willing to put it into practice would find that the proof of the pudding was in the eating, that they would reap benefits in their marriages, in the rearing of their children, in their getting along with other people, that they would handle the problems of life, he taught, in such a successful way in comparison to the rest of the world that they would in reality be a light that would lead others to Jesus. Speaking of the wisdom of God personified, Solomon wrote, For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me harms or injures himself. Solomon is a great philosopher who observes life and records his findings. He puts forth the law as being inherently right. It isn't right just because God says so, but God says so because it is right. It works in the arena of life. Again, using the wisdom of God personified, Solomon writes in Proverbs 3 and 13 through 15, How happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For its profit is better than the profit of silver, and its gain than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, Paul, writing to Timothy, said, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. In 2 Peter 1.3, Peter states that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Yes, the Bible claims to answer the problems of life. You see that scientifically, we may live an advanced and complicated world in comparison to our forefathers. We have airplanes, we have cars, we have trains, we have buses, we've got TV, we have computers, uh, we have gadgets that the people in Jesus' day never dreamed of in their wildest imagination. But the problems of life are really the same. We're at war all over the world today, and violence is up. And there is hatred and bitterness and divorce. Because although we are geniuses in the mechanical and the scientific realm, using our God-given intelligence to uncover and study the laws of nature as he has taught us and told us that we can do in the Bible, but we've neglected the word of life. And what we've found out is that without the principles that are given in the Word of God, we simply do not have successful marriages. We're simply not successful in rearing our children. We're not successful in our relationships. 
and we do not have happiness and contentment in this life. And these things are based on the same qualities of life that they were 2,000, 3,000, or 4,000, or however many years that man may have been on this earth. I would suggest to you that yes, the Bible does speak to every problem of life that you and I have as vividly as it did 2,000 years ago. Another factor that hinders people from studying the Bible, let's look at the doubt factor. Probably the most honest reason for not studying the Bible for many in our society today. The doubt factor, uh, many people have honestly never examined the evidence for the inspiration of the Bible. And consequently, uh, they have honest doubt. I identify with these people. There was a time when I had tremendous doubt about the inspiration of the Bible. Uh, some of it sounded too good to be true. Uh, it bothered me that uh, if this book is really inspired, why doesn't everyone embrace it? And the doubt I had kept me from it. Yes, people have doubt, honest doubt, and they've been told that the Bible is inspired of God, but many times they've never heard any evidence for this. In fact, there are many Christians who have just accepted the Bible because their mom, dad, or the preacher stated it was inspired of God. They often express their doubts in such statements as, well, if it is inspired, then we're, we're well off. If it's not inspired, well, we haven't lost anything. I strongly disagree with that statement. If we are truly Christians, we are denying ourselves daily. Luke 14, 27. If the Bible is not the inspired word of God, and Jesus is not the Son of God, then I agree with the Apostle Paul when he said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If the Bible is not inspired, it is just another book. It's worthy of just what most of us give it, an occasional casual reading at our leisure and convenience, just as one would do with any other book. But if it is the inspired word of God, as it claims, then it is worth a serious and diligent study. Paul, writing to Timothy, made the statement that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, perfect in the sense of being mature and complete, equipped for every good work. Isn't it worth an investigation? Let me give you just a few examples in the field of, of evidences, uh, reasons that people have come to believe in the Bible. I have a book here called A Lawyer Examines the Bible by Urban Linton, a member of the United States Supreme Court, and this book was written in about 1943. And here is a school lawyer, a member of the Supreme Court, also a diligent student of the Bible, and he has examined the biblical documents in the same way that a lawyer would examine material before presenting to a judge. Here's a direct quote on page 50. And the actual physical reality of this earthly fact 
of Christ's resurrection, on which rests our heavenly future, is not only so established that the greatest lawyers have declared it to be the best proved fact of all history, but it is so supported that it is difficult to conceive of any method or line of proof that it lacks, which would make more certain any event that even God designed to place beyond the possibility of doubt for all succeeding generations. The truth of this will appear only on careful consideration of the question how God could give and authenticate a revelation better than he has. Notice what Urban Linton is saying. He simply is saying, considering this event of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus happened almost 2,000 years ago, that he cannot even conceive of a line of evidence that God could give that we do not have. We have a plurality of eyewitnesses, the 12 apostles, later the apostle Paul who was an adversary and was convinced only by his experience and his seeing the resurrected Christ. There were over 500 at one time who saw him. There were the hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that met their fulfillment in Jesus. And there was the tremendous impact of the birth of the church and the success of Christianity in the New Testament that simply cannot be explained with anything short of the reality of that resurrection. Here's another book. This book is titled, by the way, the title of the first book was A Lawyer Examines the Bible by Urban Linton. This book is called Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. Frank Morrison was an English lawyer who was an unbeliever. And he actually set out to refute the resurrection of Christ, to expose it and to expose the Bible. But in the process of examining the evidence that he was going to expose, a strange thing happened. I shouldn't say strange because it's happened to any number of people all through the centuries who set out to do the same thing. Frank Morrison became a believer. He became convinced of the inspiration of the Bible and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so rather than write a book exposing the Bible, he writes a book in the field of Christian evidences called Who Moved the Stone? And the very first chapter of the book is titled The Book That Refused to Be Written. And he explains why he could not now write the book he initially attempted to write exposing the resurrection of Christ and the inspiration of the Bible. That book, Who Moved the Stone, by Frank Morrison. And by the way, either of these books can be purchased in any Christian bookstore. Another book I have here is a book titled None of These Diseases by a Doctor, S.L. Macmillan. This physician testifies that health, happiness, and longer life can be yours if they follow the teachings of the Bible. Looking at psychosomatic illnesses, looking at physical illnesses down through the centuries, uh, Dr. McMillan shows that the biblical writers did not operate on the same kind of ignorances that mankind did all through the centuries. At a time when man knew nothing of germs, the people of the Bible were practicing quarantine 
for diseases. At a time when people knew nothing of the benefits of washing and being clean, the Old Testament writers were teaching the people to bathe and to wash in running water and to be clean. At a time when the word psychology and, and mental illness was not even part of the language, the writers of the Bible were given a way of life that would lead to the healthiest possible mentality and would express itself in benefits even in the physical body. The book again, None of These Diseases by S.L. McMillan. One last book. There are many, but our time is running out. This book is a debate titled, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? Uh, it's between Gary Habermas, a believer, and Anthony Flew, an atheist. In this debate, Gary Habermas limits himself to only those facts of history that all scholars, believers, and unbelievers are willing to accept concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And by limiting himself, limiting himself to only those facts that even unbelieving scholars accept, Gary Habermas points out that there is literally overwhelming, unexplainable evidence concerning the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I hope something has been said to encourage you to want to make a more serious study of the Bible.